Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, BetOnline has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information online. Head there today to get in on the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast, where we talk about entertainment, media, and sports topics. And then once in a while, we get to interview some amazing people. And so for this uh, episode, this episode four on season six, we have the wonderful Kyle Day, who is the vice president and general manager of the Spokane Indians Baseball Club, uh, which is a high A ball club, uh, affiliated ball club. Uh, up in the uh, obviously the Washington area, he's an Oregon State grad. Uh, he's got a, a bachelor's of spi- science in sport and exercise science, and he's also got a master's in sport and athletic administration. Uh, I've had the chance to connect with Kyle. He is a wonderful person. Uh, not only does he uh, lead um, the minor league ball club there in Spokane, he's also an adjunct professor. Uh, in a sport management program at Gonzaga University. So Kyle, welcome in and, and thanks for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. What a, what an intro there. <laughs> thanks. Awesome. Hey, we should, uh, <laughs> you might have to send me a check in the mail for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but it's all true. So Kyle, I've just been so uh, enamored by your background um, the role that you play, you know, what, with minor, with the minor league ball club, but I want to start off with this sort of question. A lot of folks, they say, Hey, I want to get into baseball. You know, I want to be in a front office, but I'd love for you to share kind of not only your, your path of how you got into baseball, but also maybe some of the misnomers that people think, you know, cause I think folks might think, Oh, you know, if you're at the minor league level, you're going to be trading players and doing things like that. But I, I think the role is completely different. And, um, so I'd love for you to yeah, talk a little about your background, a little bit about what you're doing with the, uh, uh, with the Spokane Indians. Yeah, absolutely. So my background, you mentioned, I went to Oregon state university, uh, for my undergrad and I was doing exercise and sports science, more specifically athletic training. So my plan was to be an athletic trainer and then go to physical therapy school and, uh, be an athletic trainer and physical therapist for an NBA team or an NFL team. And I did that through college. And and towards the end, I kind of realized I was just a little bit more drawn to the, to the business side of sports. Uh, I loved working with the team and the locker room atmosphere and uh, that kind of everyone working toward a common goal. I love that part of it, but I just found myself a little more drawn to the business side. So I decided after that was, after my undergrad was over and after some a few long talks with my uh, parents <laughs> to go nice. to grad school and uh, in sport and athletic administration. So came up to Gonzaga here in Spokane, Washington, and did my master's 
there. And throughout that time, I kind of saw myself working in the NBA or working in the NFL now in the business side, or maybe even in division one athletics in an athletic department. But I did an internship as part of my program with the Spokane Chiefs hockey team, which is a major junior team in the WHL here. And the first ever hockey game I had ever been to was the first game I interned. So I knew nothing about the sport, but what it did was kind of open my eyes to minor league sports and all that it had to offer and the fun promotions and the connection you get to have with the crowd and your community and things like that. So that internship ended, I graduated and I got a full-time position as a promotions coordinator here with the Spokane Indians Baseball Club, happened to be the same ownership as the hockey team as well. So that did that as a promotions coordinator, helped execute promotions, helped sell sponsorships, helped plan for the following season, um, did that for a few years, then was assistant general manager sponsorships for a few years after that, kind of helping sell, helping plan, helping budget, helping figure out what inventory we had to sell, managing the sponsorship and promotions department. And then I've been in my role now with the Indians as vice president and general manager for the last almost five years. And now I get to work with all of our different departments. So concessions, merchandise, tickets, sponsorships, and all of our people. So we have about 25 or 26 full-time year round in our front office, and then another 325 plus seasonal team members. So I'm very involved in getting to interview and hire and train and work with all of the different people in our organization, as well as our great fans that we have come every year. I love that. And then, so, you know, on the, the sort of minor league side, I mean, I remember I had a conversation years ago with the gentleman who ran uh, with the same role as you, but at the um, club down in Lake Elsinore, Lake, Lake Elsinore mm -hmm. Storm, which I think is a Padres affiliate. Um, and then your guy, who, who's your team affiliate? I forget. We are a Rockies affiliate. That's right. That's right. So both sort of, um, you know, National League West and what's sort of interesting is I had this conversation. His name was Ray, great guy. And he would tell these often like funny stories about some of the promotions you have to do to get people in the ballpark. And, you know, I'm kind of curious as to, you know, it's kind of like we talked a little bit about this previously, but like old stories of like Bill Veck, where you would like, he would do crazy things like bringing an elephant to the field or <laughs> like, uh, I think one time he had like, uh, a small person come to the plate and, you know, basically like try to hit the ball and the person yeah. walked on four pitches, but stuff that you, you really, you know, uh, probably thankfully cannot get away with today. But um, what are your sort of like thoughts on that in terms of, I mean, obviously, cause you really have to sell the team, right? You really have to sell the product. And like you mentioned, you work with all these different departments. So maybe talk a little bit about your role in that regard and having to be both like general manager, but also like chief marketing officer too. Yeah. You know, I've been very fortunate. I've, unlike probably a lot of people, I've been with the same team for my entire career. So much of my mindset and my background is all coming from the same kind of train of thought and um, organization, but we really focus on affordable family entertainment. And I think that's one of the separators that we have in minor league baseball is that affordability for the most part. So that's really important, but that family atmosphere is also really important for us. So while we do have the chance to be probably more creative than some other industries or some other baseball teams, we do try to keep it within the confines of that family entertainment. And one of the things that I like to 
let students know or people interested in getting in the sport industry is it's great to be passionate about sports. If you're passionate about baseball, that goes a long way. But you also have to be passionate about the business side, whether that's in the form of marketing, whether that's in the form of ticket sales, what, whether that's in the form of game entertainment, you have to be passionate about those bullet points in your job description as well, I think, to to do really well in this industry. So even though I work for a baseball team, very little of what I do on a day-to-day basis has to do with the actual baseball on the field. It's kind of everything else that surrounds it. It's the entertainment, it's the fireworks, it's the ticket sales, it's the hot dogs and the concessions and the uh, merchandise our business is almost more of an entertainment business than it is a sports business, even though we are a minor league baseball team. Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, and of course, like with a lot of this development going on in, in sort of minor league baseball, you know, we talked a little bit about this. There's been so many changes, right? Like we've gone from 160 minor league teams to, I think it's 120 that are affiliated yeah. which of course brings up the value of those teams. And then you have this diamond sports group, uh, which is, I think owns, I think a quarter of the teams, I think they own 29 of the, uh, of the minor league baseball teams. And of course these stadiums are getting, uh, ballparks are getting even more, uh, beautiful and redesigned. And I think it was the other day, I, I read something today in front office sports about, the the team in Charlotte that was looking to sell for multi-millions of dollars. Uh, which is something that was really unheard of. Um, but now that there's more value to this, and of course, when they moved the draft from 40 rounds to 20 rounds, all of a sudden now uh, the product on the field and the you know fewer teams, it creates this sort of dynamic of more value. Um, I don't know if you can comment on any of that in in regard to the context of how maybe that's affected your you know, your club or just in general, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And if you can't comment, that's okay. Sure. No, I think what I can say is that there are a lot of new facility standards in place for our industry and to make sure that all the facilities that these major league teams are sending their prospects to are up to, up to good standards. We want to have a great playing surface. We want to have a great place in the clubhouse for them to be able to go. We want great meals and all those kind of things. So I think they're all really positive improvements for the industry. Now, I know that's really hard if you were one of the teams that, you know, got essentially cut from, from minor league baseball, that is, is a challenge and that's hard. And I think most of them are still playing baseball in, in some form or the other and, and a lot to really great success. Um, and for us, I think it really feels like minor league baseball is on the upswing and not that it ever wasn't, but it really feels like there is a lot of resources being put behind minor league baseball. And there is a lot of respect towards minor league baseball and what it is that the operators do. And and like I say, I, I've, I've had the great fortune of working for this same group, same ownership group for my entire career. And I think it really shows in what we've been able to do as a business and kind of raise the profile of the Spokane Indians and help raise the pro- profile of minor league baseball as a whole. Um, it's been a, a great group to work for. And we've got a great mix of you know, tenured management team with always new people looking to get their career started in the sports world. And it's a really good mix that we have here. But I think in general, minor league baseball is in a great place and is continuing to grow while still kind of hanging on to those roots of that 
creative promotions and the affordable family entertainment and all those great things that made minor league baseball what it is. No, such a good point. And, um, you know, like you said, with the value and, and putting the product on the field, I mean, I think to me, as much as the teams, and I won't speak for you in this regard, but for myself that, you know, major league baseball really wanted to have more control over what product was being put on the field, both in terms of the stadiums and the brands and everything else to bring it more in line, uh, frankly, with, with other leagues around the world uh, in, in the United States to where you have more control over a minor league system. And I think that creates some opportunities. And of course, the other side to this, which nobody's really talking about is when you move from, you know, when you reduce the amount of teams, but also you reduce the amount of rounds, and then you add in this aspect of name, image, and likeness in the college transfer portal now, all of a sudden, these these high school uh, baseball players who are normally going to get drafted are now going to college. And so I seem to think that maybe the college game gets improved and becomes more valuable because those players have to go play somewhere, right? And and either they're going to play in the, you know, either the college level or they're going to, you know, sign as a free agent with a club. But of course, with, with, with fewer clubs, fewer teams, I mean, it's, I think it makes it a little more difficult. Um, so on the sort of internet and like social media piece, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you've been with the club now for, you know, it was about 15 years now, Kyle, or is that? Is yeah, this will, this will be season yeah. 14 coming up. Yeah. So um, has it changed much over the years? I mean, obviously social media plays such a big role now. Is that, is that something that's completely different for you now with the internet and social media? Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, it, it was always there. I think what it has done, I think consumer purchasing habits have changed a lot. So, you know, we're seeing a lot more online ticket sales rather than in-person box office or over the phone. And I think that is probably standard throughout our industry and many, many others, especially between now and pre-pandemic as well. But the the social media portion has grown, evolved. And to me, the biggest thing it, it really does is it just allows for that year-round uh engagement for us and our and our most loyal fans, which is which is great. And our, our um director of public relations who runs our social media does an outstanding job with everything that we do, but it really keeps that connection going year round, which is something that's really important for us. You know, you mentioned some of the restructuring with major league baseball and minor league baseball, but prior to 2020, we were a short season team, meaning we had 38 home games between mid June and early September. Now we are a high a team. So we have 66 home games and we start the first week of April. So it's taken a lot of messaging, a lot of communication between us and the community that we're in to let people know that we are playing much earlier. We're playing in the spring. We're playing a little bit longer into September. So those are some things. We're in season four of this now, but those are some things that we are still working on is getting the word out that we're here. The Spokane Indians have been in this community since 1903, really, really long times. And for so long, it was kind of the summertime thing to do. So social media, the internet and, and digital marketing has allowed us to kind of spread that message maybe a little more quickly and efficiently than we would have been able to in the past. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. Um, you know, I wonder maybe talking a little bit about sort of like the future of the minor league business, what, what do you kind of see in any trends that you can kind of share or trends that you can kind of see in, in, in the system 
beyond what we've talked about, is there anything that you'd kind of point to that, you know, you might think that might be changing in the game or maybe some changes you'd like to see? I think the, you know, I don't know that I can speak for the entire industry, but some things that we're seeing is that digital focus is continues to be there and digital tickets continue to be there. Um, I know a lot of ballparks have gone cashless. Our stadium of his stadium is not cashless, um, but we, we see those trends going on in certain places. Um, for us, one of the things that we continue to work on is making sure that we're providing that same level of outstanding customer service. And I think more than ever, that can be our differentiator is our customer service. And it's one of those things that, you know, you may not know exactly what it was when you came to our game, but you leave with a smile on your face and you might not know whether the team won or lost, but you had a great time. Your kid got a picture with a mascot. You saw a great fireworks show and you're happy when you leave. And so one of the things that we've tried to focus on is even as we you know move into the digital world, even as we are at a couple higher levels of play on the field, we are really focusing on trying to keep that same level of customer service, that Disney style customer service that we're known for here locally, making sure that we hang on to that and keep, uh, keep that going as much as possible. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, um, and it's obviously so important, right? Because the whole family environment, the fact that, you know, I mean, what's the distance between Spokane and, and let's say Seattle, if we wanted to watch a game, I mean, we're talking hundreds of miles, right? So, yeah, it's about, it's about a four, four and a half hour drive. Right, right. Because Spokane's on the eastern side of the state, right? Yep. So closer to like Idaho. So yep. you probably bring in fans from Idaho and um, and obviously uh, Washington. You know, I'm curious too, you know, one of the things that's been interesting to watch as well is how Major League Baseball has utilized minor league baseball to test out new rules, right? Like yeah. the bigger base pass, uh, the bigger bases, the you know, the man standing on second base, you know, in extra innings, what's kind of been the reception there at the minor league level of that? Has it been more just kind of like, Hey, this makes for more excitement or is it maybe accepted more begrudgingly if you can talk about it? Yeah, it's funny. I think different people have different viewpoints for sure. As an operator and someone who is working a majority of the games, I can tell you that I love a player starting on second base for extra innings because it takes away those 14, 15, 16 inning games that happen once in a while where there's hardly anyone left in the stand, but you've got to keep a concession stand open. So from an operator standpoint, I love it because it makes us more efficient and it gets me home a little bit earlier at the end of the night. I yeah. understand that's completely selfish. Um, I, the same can be said about the pitch clock as well. Um, our data, the first year we had the pitch clock, we were down about 40 minutes in game time and, um, Last year was a little less. I think we settled in last year to you know, roughly two hours and 45 minute game time, which is great. So both of those things, again, from an operator standpoint, from a guy who has a family at home, uh, I really, really like. I think most people like them, especially the pitch clock. You know, it doesn't take out any of the game action, right? It's just kind of the dead time in between. So you're still getting the same amount of game action. It's just condensed into a uh, a little shorter period of time. So the overall reception from our fans has been really good. There's always going to be baseball purists who who don't like it or don't like you know, runners starting on second and the tenth inning, which I totally understand. Baseball is a different sport and has been different for a long time, but we have seen those changes positively affect us and our operation for the most part. And, you know, it's kind of fun to try out some new things. And when it happens in the major league the next year, 
you can say, oh yeah, we were doing that last year. Here's what happened. And, and you have a little kind of inside info, which is kind of fun. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I, you know, it's funny when the changes first came out, I thought, well, this is brilliant to be able to use minor league baseball to test this, right? Because when you're in the minor leagues, you're being challenged in many different ways anyway, as a player, right? And, and you're trying to find new ways to be successful. And frankly, I think some of the major league teams, you know, the, uh, the major league clubs can learn from the minor league clubs in terms of adaptability, but also in terms of some marketing strategy, because you're having to market just based on the brand, not based on who's, you know, whose name's on the back of the Jersey. Right. So if frankly, it's something that I think the big league clubs could learn from, but I got to tell you, when I first saw these rules come through, my first thought was, Oh, I'm a traditionalist and there's no way this is going to work. But as I thought about it more, I mean, I was thinking, okay, number one, the bigger bases are great because you're going to have more stolen bases because, you know, baseball is a game of inches. And all of a sudden, if you're going from a 15 square inch base to an 18, you're clearly going to have, you know, more people steal. And of course, that was what the data showed for this past year. And then, like you said, shortening up the game, I think it had gotten too long with all the delays and pitching changes. Um, and of course, the the limiting of the shifts all these things I think really helped um, to really kind of make the game more exciting and keep the ball in play, which I think was the whole point of, of baseball was that you would have some sort of action going on as opposed to, you know, you're just having one reliever coming in after another reliever. And the whole point is just to strike everybody out, right? <laughs> um, the three true outcomes walk, you know, hit a home run or strike out. Right. Um, so I, I'm glad that you've sort of had that experience I wonder if you could talk a little bit about sort of your role with Gonzaga. And I thought it was fascinating, the class that you're teaching there. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah. And first thing is first, Jeremy, I have to correct you. I'm sorry, but it's Gonzaga. Oh, my bad. Gonz Gonzaga. Yeah. Gonzaga. If, I, if I didn't say something, I'd, I'd hear it from people. <laughs> All right. Gonzaga. Okay. Gonzaga. Yeah. So, okay. uh, so yeah, I've had the chance to be an adjunct instructor there for the past, I don't know, four or five years taught a couple different classes in their sport management department, undergrad classes. And it's personally, for me, it's been really fulfilling. I really enjoy being in the classroom, helping the students get to where they want to be and kind of peel back or, or pull back the curtain for them to see what it really is like working in the sports industry. What are some of the things that I think about on a day-to-day -day basis? How can I apply that to some of their curriculum? So I'm really fulfilled by it. And, and I think the the students get something out of it too. And in fact, um, you're going to be guest speaking in my class coming up this term, which I'm really excited about. We haven't had a lawyer um, in the sports entertainment world in our class, so it'll be great. But the class we're teaching or I'm teaching this term is a financial matters of sport. So we'll really focus mostly on revenue production. So a large majority of the class will be focused on ticket sales and sponsorship sales, but we'll also talk about fundraising. We'll talk about multimedia rights and things like that, but really a lot of ticket and sponsorship sales, because, you know, if you were good to go to a minor league team or an NBA team or whoever it might be, major league baseball, if you look at their front office directory, the largest majority of positions are going to be in sales, right? They're going to be in ticket sales or premium suite sales or sponsorship sales. So there are so many opportunities. And I think a lot of people, a lot of students when they're in college, don't think of themselves as salespeople. 
So part of my role is to show them what it means to be a salesperson, how it affects the operation, how it fits into the puzzle, and kind of just show them some of those opportunities that may be out there while giving them a little bit of a base on revenue production and ticket sales, cold calling, things like that. I love that. And I mean, those are really the quintessential items, right? When you're talking about sports, it's the marketing, it's the sales. And I think- Yeah, it's, it, it's the lifeblood. Yeah for especially minor league teams, you know, without the huge billion dollar TV um, contracts, that is for us, it's butts and seats. It's selling tickets and making sure people come to the stadium. That is what's the most important thing for us. If no one's buying tickets, then the signs on the outfield wall aren't going to be worth much to a sponsor. If no one's buying tickets, there's going to be no one there to buy hot dogs and a beer at the game or a hat and a t-shirt. So ticket sales are the lifeblood and, and one of the most important things we do fundamentally as a business. No, I love that. And just so I get this right, it's Gonzaga. You got it. Perfect. All right. Gonzaga. All right. So I gotta make sure I get that right before I, before I show up to your class. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get roasted. <laughs> before you're filling out your March Madness bracket. Yeah. You got to right. know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, with, and it's, it's sort of interesting. I mean, I've been following the news a little bit. I I'm curious of, as, as if to what are the schools going to go to, uh, the big 12. I've been following some of that. I mean, I think it'd be a great move for them, you know, um, you know, I, I imagine you're probably not involved in any of those discussions, but I think it would be a great move for the university if uh, if they did that, you know, from a television standpoint, but also from, a, you know, just a marketing standpoint. They're such a great institution, uh, specifically on the basketball side. And now if if the school can play in a you know, conference that's got Arizona, Arizona State, um, you know, Colorado and Utah and some of these other big schools, I mean, I think, you know, could be some some really you know, nice potential there. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out. You know, the, the men's team and also the women's team, perennially top 25 teams, second weekend of the tournament type teams, at least. Um, and so it'll be interesting. Certainly from a basketball standpoint, it's hard to hard to beat the Big 12, especially right now. I'm kind of in a no man's land as an Oregon State grad and and I bleed beaver orange and black. Oregon State's without a conference, we're actually going to be playing in the WCC for the next two years. So there's a chance that my two alma maters, Gonzaga and Oregon State, will be playing on the hardwood. So it would be kind of, uh, I don't know, ironic is the right word, but if Oregon State announces they're joining the WCC for basketball and then all of a sudden Gonzaga announces they're leaving the WCC, uh, it's always been my uh, one of my uh, bucket lists to see Zags play the Beavers, and we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition over the next couple of years. I would love to see that. And you know, bring up a good point because this whole Pac-2 thing with Washington State and Oregon State, and you wonder whether there might be a combination of the Mountain West or some other schools, or you also wonder why the Big 12 wouldn't take on Oregon State and Washington State. Um, you know, they're great schools. They have, you know, good reputations, but I don't know. I think with, in this day and age with the dollars and the contracts that go with it, um, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. It is. You're going to get me riled up, Jeremy. I'm, yeah. I've already gone through realignment once this <laughs> And I agree The Oregon state and Washington state seem to be perfect, both, um, size of schools geographically, they seem to be perfect big 12 candidates, but uh, thus far, it has not happened, unfortunately. Yeah, I hope that it does, honestly. And, you know, and then this whole like Stanford and Cal and going to the ACC, like, I just really wish things were different. 
And as much as I like seeing UCLA and USC in the, um, in the big 10, and it's obviously a great conference. It also is sad to see, you know, PAC 12 was a great conference and we had a lot of good schools. Of course, this past year was one of the best years we've ever had. Uh, and then of course, to split that up, um, I kind of like Chip Kelly's comment after the UCLA um, game against Boise State, the LA Bowl game, where he made a comment saying, you know, in football, there should be, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, basically 64 team football conference and everybody else in the other, other sort of sports play locally. So like you would have the PAC 12 for basketball and other sports because you're traveling on a much more consistent basis, but then in football, it changes it up because you're only traveling, you know, basically six times, seven times a year. Yeah. Um, it seems, it sure seems like that would make a lot of sense. And, but I think it's also a good, um, lesson just in the sports industry and in life and your career, we can sit here and, you know, I can sit here and whine about how great the PAC 10 was PAC 12 and how I grew up watching it. And it was so awesome, but ultimately Oregon state and Washington state are in the situation that they're in and their administrators have to figure out a path forward and adapt to change and lean into it and be proactive. And, and I, you know, the same thing when, when major league baseball did their restructuring, there were things that we needed to figure out. We needed to figure out some of our facility improvements and how we were going to make them happen and all these things. And you can sit there and, lament and think about the past and how it used to be, or you can kind of get to work towards the future. And uh, I think that's what a lot of these collegiate athletic departments are having to do. But like I say, it's a good kind of microcosm and a good lesson in any industry or in any career of adapting to change and, and finding the path forward. No, I completely agree, which I think leads into my last two final questions. And this next one was sort of be on the lines of, um, you know, what kind of advice would you have for folks trying to break into sports, uh, particularly maybe into your role? Uh, and then maybe talk a little bit about do, do folks who move into minor league baseball, do you see a lot of transition into the major league level or is it really two distinct, um, you know, different pathways? Sure. So I think the first part of the question is uh, it's, it's hard to, a lot of the things that I think make people great team members are kind of those soft skills. It's having a great attitude. It's being willing to do the dirty work. It's having a growth mindset, wanting to learn whether you're a first year intern, first day intern, or you're the senior vice president and you've been here for 30 years, striving to learn more, learn from other teams, take different things and make them successful where you are, show up early, stay late. These are all, like I say, soft skills for the most part. Maybe some of them are even cliche, but they're cliche for a reason. So that's one of the areas that in minor league baseball, I think you can really, a real positive of it is that we do a ton of idea sharing across the nation, across our league. You know, even though uh, the Tri-City Dust Devils are in our league and they're a couple hours down the road and we play against them on the field, that has nothing to do. We have two completely separate markets. If something's working there, we're going to try and figure out how we can make that work in Spokane and vice versa. So I think minor league baseball in general does a great job of idea sharing and seeing what works and applying it in your specific market. In terms of people moving on from minor league baseball to other places, we're really proud of the alumni, specifically from the Spokane Indians that have gone on to different places. Some of those are elsewhere in minor league baseball. Some of those are in major league baseball or the NBA or collegiate athletics. But that is a feather in our cap when someone goes on from the Indians to do other great things in sports or, or different industries as well. For me, um, I have 
you know, I get that question a lot from friends back home or, for, or from different people of, oh, are you trying to move up to the major leagues? And at one point that was probably in my mind for my career, but I found a place that has an awesome ownership group that has outstanding people in the front office that, you know, to be quite honest, I see more than my family sometimes during the season and we get along really well. Um, it's a great market and I don't have the desire to necessarily move to double A or move to triple A on my way up to the major leagues. I found a place that fulfills a lot of my professional needs, a lot of my personal needs and really, really happy in Spokane. Some people do want to move up or or go up to a different level of baseball but it kind of goes back to the beginning for you know even though i'm the general manager very little of what i do has to do with the baseball so if those other things market size and um attendance and history of the organization and things like that if those boxes are checked um i don't feel the need to search for something else necessarily i love that and you know kyle that's such a blessing too to like be content and to be happy you know like it's such a, it's such a good skill to, to sort of practice, to be joyful about things, you know, like, and to understand that like, Hey, I'm happy here. This is great. This is a good opportunity. And, you know, it's not necessarily that I need to move to quote unquote, the next level, you know? Um, so I love, I love hearing that. And that's such good advice to like, to share with folks. Um, yeah. 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 It really is. I'm sorry. The, the no, last no, thing I'll add on, I think in sports, especially, uh, I'm also not at where I'm going to be, meaning each season is a little bit different. Just the seasonality of what we do, you end a season, you start planning for the next season. Every season is a little bit different. So there's always something on the horizon that's new or that's challenging or that you're improving on. So even though uh, I'm in this role, I don't feel like, okay, I've made it, check, I'm happy, all those things. You're We're constantly looking for what the next great promotion is or how can we sell more tickets or what's this great ticket plan or what service can we offer our ticket package holders so there's always something on the horizon with the seasonality of our business that makes each year its own thing and each season so exciting no i agree i wonder too maybe as a last little antidote and i appreciate you sharing that is is there like a story that you could kind of tell us maybe a funny antidote or a funny sort of experience that you had that can maybe be a lesson learned or maybe something where you triumphed over adversity that you could share with us? Hmm, yeah, there's a lot that, that I can <laughs> think of. I'm trying to think of which ones are appropriate for this, yeah, yeah. this podcast. <laughs> yeah. You know, one that comes to mind was just this last season and being a general manager of a minor league team, you wear a million different hats and you hear that a lot in the sports industry, but it is it is so true, I think, in minor league baseball. And if, if I was running another business that had nothing to do with sports, if I saw someone that had minor league baseball on their resume, it would be like an instant hire because I know that they pulled a tarp in the pouring rain. I know that they've picked up the stadium after fans have left. I know that they've made cold calls. I know that they have have great customer service experience. So you really do wear a lot of hats. And there was one time this last season, it was towards the end of the year. We'd had a great year weather-wise and, and business-wise and everything like that. And it was coming down to the end and we had some weather challenges. So it was pouring rain. I needed to be out on the field, walking the field with the umpires and the managers, just kind of assessing the conditions of the playing field, seeing if it was safe to play. At the same time, our clubby calls me and the ceiling is falling in in an area of the home clubhouse. 
not falling in, but there were some ceiling tiles that had gotten wet and were coming down. So I'm trying to be on the field with the umpires and assess the field. I'm trying to be in the clubhouse, making sure everyone's safe and things are okay in there. I'm getting voicemails on my phone all at the same time. So there, uh, a lot happens, a lot happens at once, but it truly is just kind of assessing what needs to be done at what time. But if I, if you could have seen me holding a piece of a ceiling tile while I'm walking out to the field to meet with, you know, professional baseball manager and umpires, it was uh, quite the sight. <laughs> I love that. Um, a jack of a jack of all trades, master of one, as yes, uh, yes, ben exactly. Franklin would say. I love that. Uh, exactly, and, and we're really excited here at Avista Stadium. Um, we're, there's a lot of facility improvements that are currently going on, and that will be going on for the next couple of years as well. We've got a beautiful 1958 ballpark, so it's got a lot of charm, and now it will have a lot of the uh, you know 21st century amenities that today's players needs as well. I love that. You know, and it's one thing we forgot to mention, but um, the, one of the interesting aspects between major and minor league baseball is the player development contracts or the PDCs. And of course, for folks who don't know, it's that's the contract that goes between the major league organization and the minor league franchise, right? So very interesting. And I think those are signed like every three years, right, is how the affiliation goes. Uh, it used it used to be different in the past. It's a 10-year agreement okay. right now. So we're, we're in season four. Uh, with the Colorado Rockies, which is hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday we started with them, but yeah, we're going into season four with the Rockies. I love that. I love that. Well, folks, this has been Kyle Day. He is the vice president general manager of the Spokane Indians baseball club, the high A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. Uh, an awesome experience to be with you today, Kyle, and look forward to being back with you, um, you know, very soon and look forward to joining you in your class very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it as well. And you're going to you're going to wow them with your pronunciation of Gonzaga. Gonzaga. I love it. <laughs> All right. I got it right. Well, <laughs> cool. All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening in. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. Thanks for being with us, making us a top-rated entertainment media sports law podcast in the world. And this episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you so much.